Hey, Justin here with Stay at Home Dads Podcast. Once again, welcome to the show where I talk about a lot of different aspects of dad life. Being a dad, being a stay-at-home dad. I talk about my kids, my family, mental and physical health, parenting struggles and tips, as well as some other interesting topics that I really hope you enjoy. So thank you for being here today. All right, so let's get today kicked off with something interesting that I saw, and it's no way indicative of the primary topic of this episode. But did you hear about the Californian Congresswoman Nithya Raman? Well, you got you got to listen to this. She's received, in my opinion, some well-deserved backlash for her comments at a city council town hall meeting about the theft of car parts, catalytic converters to be exact. And if you don't know what a catalytic converter is, it's a part of the exhaust, it's for emissions, it's full of precious metals, so people are stealing them and they're selling them to scrappers who somehow extract this precious metal so they get some sort of money out of them. Well, let me play you her ridiculous comments. Really? That infuriates you? Do you think it's easy to steal one of these parts off of a Prius? Do you even know where this part is located? If you don't know, it's under the car. It's in the middle of the car. So you have to literally jack the car up, crawl under it, grab a sawzall, chop out this catalytic converter, this piece of the exhaust, and she says that Toyota makes that too easy. Ha! Huh. Of course she blames the car maker and not the criminal. That, that seems to be the trend in California lately, right? And I suppose it's because the criminal needs to steal that to survive, right? Because they're the victim of society. Come on. Just, just come on. It would be like leaving your wallet on your kitchen counter and then somebody walks by and breaks a window and steals your wallet. And then they blame the window maker for making a window that's too easy to break. Like, that makes zero sense. Well, what she said makes zero freaking sense, okay? It's frustrating that people say that stuff and they're in charge of making policies when they don't even want to criminalize the criminal that's breaking the law. There was even a measure brought forth by another council member, John Lee, and this is in California. I don't really have any dog in this fight, but I thought the story is kind of interesting. So anyways, this other member had brought this measure up, 
and Rahman, she voted against it, along with three other members. So a total of four of them on this council voted against it, and the measure would make it illegal to possess an unattached catalytic converter without proof of ownership. And one of the other council members that voted against it said a better strategy would be for the city to help the residents attach cages to protect these parts. And when something gets stolen, the city should be trying to make people whole again and not punish someone else. So she doesn't want the criminal punished either. What, what world is that? What, what are they thinking? And maybe this is exactly why California is in the situation that they're in. Criminals don't face any charges. Criminals aren't punished. The blame is rolled somewhere else. And these policymakers paint the criminal as a victim of the system or a victim of society or whatever. Well, anyways, despite the down votes, the measure still passed. So it allows police to charge and fine and arrest anyone who is in possession of one of these parts that's not attached to a car. And they have no identifying information, such as a bill or a receipt or something stating ownership. Sounds like the right direction, doesn't it? It does to me. I mean, no normal person is going to be in possession of one of these off of a vehicle. They just aren't. A shop may, a private shop may, you know, while working on cars, they're going to have something sitting around. When I worked in a diesel shop, we had particulate filters and catalytic converters all over the place. We had quite a few laying around here and there. So this should deter criminals from cutting them off cars. And it should definitely deter the people that buy said parts from the thieves because they're not going to want to be sitting on a pile of these when Johnny Law rolls up and wants paperwork on every single one, right? I mean, we used to have core guys come around our shops and they would buy core catalytic converters, they would buy injectors, they would buy core turbos, they would buy all this stuff. But the truck that they were in would be full of catalytic converters. Were some stolen? Yeah, probably. I don't really know back then. This is a good 10 years ago. But if you're buying from a shop or a business, there should be some way to have paperwork and it not be an issue. So this should technically keep them from buying the ones from the criminals, the ones that they're cutting off of Peter's car and Sally's car and, and selling to these people. And I get it too. I get it. Raman must not understand how cars work or how they're built or what in the hell different parts are. She clearly doesn't know what or where a catalytic converter is, but that's still no excuse to not punish a lawbreaker. In reading a little bit more about her, she seems smart. She went to Harvard. She went to MIT. She looks like a huge homelessness advocate. And she's trying to get those people off the street. Or I guess people now call them the unhoused. That's what they like to call them now. Like that's why they're homeless. Because it can't be mental health or drug abuse. It's just that they need a house, right? That they're unhoused. That's the only reason they're on the street. Okay. But anyways, I imagine she would like to do some good. But this is just ridiculous, right? Am I, am I over exaggerating? Do I seem like I'm really into it? I don't know. It just seems totally crazy to me. Anyways, I just wanted to share this 
total nonsense. Let me know what you think. And if you live in California or the LA area, is it as bad as what I see on social media and what I see in the news? It seems to be pretty lawless out there. Criminals all the times, all day and night, stealing stuff, assaulting people. Homeless people are everywhere. And it doesn't seem like they want any quote-unquote help. So, yeah, let me know. Give me some insight on that. All right, moving on now. What I want to talk about today, the actual topic of today's show, after my slight digression. And it actually may fit in with this policy-making nonsense I just talked about. Parents making too much or not enough policy and rules for their kids. Huh, see? I wound it in there, kind of, right? I see a lot of social media posts that talk about letting kids be kids, letting them really be free to kind of do what they please and not putting too many expectations on them, right? We all see that, social media, all over the place. It's like this new thing. So my question is for today, and you can think about this, and of course, you know, answer it in your own head. You can let me know if you want to send me a DM or whatever. But how much do we let our kids fail? Or how loose do we parent before we step in or intervene on some situation or activity? Also, how much do you just let your kids be kids and not burden them with a bunch of other things that don't really coincide with being a child? Putting adult-level expectations on them, essentially. And I know this is all more than one question. I'm kind of peppering you a little bit. And I'm not sure I'm going to unpack all of this today, but I kind of think they all tie in together. So I saw this quote on social media, and it said, Children are only as skilled as we allow them to be. They have an incredible capacity for greatness, and it largely goes untapped. And we, as their guides, need to make space for them to use their childhood. What do you think of that? What are your thoughts? This got me thinking about how I parent and my dynamic with my kids and how I tend to stifle that a little bit, stifle their childhood maybe, and get into that overparenting a little bit, which I don't know, is that an actual term, overparenting, the overparent? I mean, it's something similar to the old helicopter, the hovering helicopter parent, right? But instead of stepping in over a safety concern, which I do that quite often as well, the overparent to me is more stepping in to help too much, doing too much, dictating what happens, not letting my kids fail, and just doing things for them at the first sight of struggle. So I don't know if that's a thing or not. I think it is. And like I said, I kind of fall into this trap too. I do some of this stuff. I help. I step in. I worry about injury. They have a hard time or they say they can't do something. And sometimes I don't even give them the opportunity to try and to fail. I just jump right in there. And I know I've seen other parents do the exact same. And I've also seen the other side of this coin, this other spectrum where parents don't step in at all. They let their kids just struggle immensely and figure things out or quit and move on. And just let them go and do a lot of things on their own. Do possibly dangerous stuff and not even lift a finger and hover over there and monitor or step in. They don't do any of that. 
a small toddler climbing something or kids running around with sticks or kids jumping off stuff and doing stunts. Honestly, I used to do all those things as a kid myself, so I don't know why they concern me now, but they do. So where do you land on this whole scale? What's the best side to be on here? Is there a happy medium? Is it just one or the other? And how does an extreme one way or the other affect how our kids grow up and handle life? That's kind of what I want to investigate. And I know I'm taking a long time to get to it here, but we'll try. First off, I do agree with the quote that I talked about, that we all really need to let kids be kids and really use their childhood. I mean, childhood is temporary. They're a kid for a really short period of time, and we need to really let them enjoy that. But at the same time, we are those guides. We're parents. We're not roommates that don't give a shit what the other person does. We need to have some boundaries and make sure some things are kept in check, right? Second, yes, I did a little digging, and the overparent parent or overparenting is a thing. According to VeryWellFamily.com, this article I found, it refers to a parent's attempts to micromanage their children's life, ensuring they're making good decisions, protecting them from any hint of physical or emotional discomfort, and preventing them from facing the consequences of their behavior. This article goes on and says, you're probably overparenting if you're fighting constantly over your five-year-old eating enough vegetables on their plate during dinner time, or if you're fighting with your 15-year-old about how they do their hair, or you assume that there's always the best or the right way for your child to do something, and it's typically your idea. Or if you don't like to see your kid fail and you're quick to help or give the right answer to any problem in their life. They also say overparenting can stem from setting expectations too high with tons of activities and managing all the free time the child has, or even setting expectations too low with parents not believing their child is even capable of behaving independently of them. So, okay, after reading that, uh, I don't think I'm doing too bad because I was really in my head thinking that, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm this helicopter overparent that's just ruining my kids, right? But now reading that stuff, I do feel a little bit better. Another few examples of the overparent would be excessively involving yourself in school projects, excessively monitoring your kids' social interactions, constantly intervening in conflicts and things like that, could be scheduling activities without considering your kids' interests or not letting them explore their own passions, choosing your kids' clothing all the time, even with emotional regulation. Parents may not allow their kids to experience and manage their own emotions, telling the child how to feel or what to feel, or shielding them from disappointment even. Or even when they get older, it could be something like managing the kids' college application process or contacting different places for them when they're older. So a lot of different ways that we can overparent. All in all, though, this parenting style can really impact a child's development and learning process. I know we all have good intentions when it comes to how we parent. We want to do the best job that we can. So I'm going to kind of go through a few pros and cons of overparenting and then try to figure out what our best options are, I guess, 
see if there's that happy medium in there somewhere. All right, so some pros of the overparent. Kids increase sense of security. Well, that's a given since we tend to have constant supervision and guidance. Kids tend to feel safer because they know that we are watching and we are around them and we are doing all the worrying for them. Plus, parents are, you know, like I said, they're right there. So there's no touching the hot stove or running into traffic or eating dirt in the backyard or any of that stuff because parents are going to swoop in and save the day, right? Also, overparent parents are very aware of how their kids are doing in school. And they will do what they can to support them, especially if they see the grades slip or dive. And the same goes for mental health or even bullying. Parents will notice those changes right away since they are so involved. And they will get right in there and attempt or fix the issue. Another pro is academic achievement. Overparenting can lead to high academic performance since parents are closely monitoring that school activity and the education, right? do more reading, sit down, do more math. We tend to kind of grind on them a little bit, so it's no surprise that they're learning more. Next is reduce risk-taking. Since the parents are always around preventing kids from doing anything potentially risky, that aspect of a kid's behavior will change. They have limited autonomy with the parents always being there, so they're not going to do those risky behaviors. Okay, so those last two really aren't pros. It's kind of a reach, right? I don't think that's a pro saying that my kid doesn't take any risk in life. But anyways, another one too they've mentioned is the kid will probably never be late to anything because the parents are so overly prepared for all the stuff and, and all the scheduling that the kid will probably never be late to a party or to a practice or to school. So there's, there's that, I guess. All right, so let's go to the cons here, and this will be a little more believable, a little bit more factual, I guess. Not so stretchy. Lack of independence. No shock there. Kids can start to feel a little bit suffocated when their parents are helicoptering around all the time. Kids that are overparented may struggle with decision-making, problem-solving, and self-reliance as they haven't been given any opportunities to learn and grow on their own. They always rely on their parents to solve their problems and make their decisions for them. So that's, that's something that's really going to affect them as they get older as well. They're going to always want to turn to mom and dad to do things for them and fix things for them. It also hinders self-advocacy. Kids need to be able to ask questions and gain clarification and speak up when something is needed at school or at a job, when they need to talk to a boss or they need to talk to a teacher or something like that. So how are they going to do that when they're an adult, when you're in college or you're on a job and there's no mom and dad around anymore? You're going to be this awkward kid or this awkward person that has no people skills at all. Next, it can increase anxiety and stress levels as well as lowered self-esteem as they may develop a fear of failure or struggle with perfectionism. Parents who are overly involved show doubt about their children's competence, so they may develop negative self-talk as well. They're not feeling confident about their abilities, so they're going to you know, be like, oh, I'm such a piece of shit. Oh, man, I'm, I, I'm terrible at this. I can't do that, right? They're just going to bring themselves down with that negative talk. They could also feel like they can't do anything right because 
when they try, when they try to make a choice or do something, the parent is right there knowing what's best for them and choosing something possibly different for them. And then how does that make the kid feel, you know? They also may show limited resilience. They may have a harder time coping with setbacks, challenges, and failure because they haven't developed those skills because they haven't had to deal with any of those things. The last con I will mention here is the association of overparenting with narcissism and entitlement. Kids that have been overindulged by parents, doing everything for them, solving all their problems, can grow up with this sense of entitlement and continue to demand this type of gratification as an adult. When parents become too responsive in a way that's not developmentally appropriate, children become more likely to develop pathologically narcissistic traits. So... That's kind of crazy. We don't want that. So how do some of us fall into this method? If it seems so bad for a child's development, why wouldn't we be more aware of it? Well, it usually stems from a parent's desire to manage their own discomfort as they can't tolerate watching their child get hurt, fail, or make mistakes. We see it and we want to just step in immediately and fix it. Psychologist Michelle Reynolds suggests that one primary reason is the simple desire to give children a childhood unlike our own experiences. Some parents remember having to do certain things and they think, well, there's no way that I want to make my kid go through what I went through as a child. Or they want to make sure that their kids have what they didn't have. So I think it can happen pretty easily. We all want our kids to succeed. We all have this idea of what we want our kids to grow up like. So there may be some of that pressure as well. And I just thought of this other idea, the social media aspect. I think there can be a lot of garbage that people read and see online. And they see these parents and kids acting and doing certain things. And they think that they're failing as a parent themselves. Maybe they think they can't keep up with whatever unobtainable goal or level some influencer has gotten their kid or their family to. So there could be that aspect as well. So how do we kind of combat this? How do we change the narrative? Well, we need to get comfortable with letting our kids make mistakes, suffer natural consequences, and solve their own problems. Those are all important aspects of growing and learning as a kid. We just need to back off a little bit, not necessarily completely all at once, just boom, dump it and 180 on the kid because you've been that kid's safety net for their entire life. It's going to be quite the shock to them if all of a sudden you aren't there to help them. So I don't think it's a sink or swim type of mentality here. That doesn't really work. We have to slowly give them space and let them know that, hey, we're here to help or quote-unquote guide, like the quote said, and slowly kind of back off. I recently read something and it was advice on talking with kids. And this guy said the best thing that he did with his kid was when his kid came to him with a problem, he simply asked before the kid got into it, would you like me to give you advice? Or do you want me just to listen? Because a lot of times when our kids come to us with problems or complaining about something, what do we typically do? Boom, bang, we hit them with the old one, two, you should do this. 
Why didn't you do that? Next time you say this. When in reality, all our kid wants to do is vent about their day or vent about the shitty kid in the lunchroom or vent about so-and-so in the hallway or whatever it may be. So instead of interjecting with our knowledge and our advice, we could ask them their thoughts on the situation and hear what they would have done or would like to do instead of just instilling our own ideas. Let them brainstorm on it and let them bounce those ideas off of you. And I do like that. I like that a lot when I read this. I can't remember who said it, but I was like, you know, that's actually really good. Just ask that simple question. Do you want advice or do you want me to listen? That's, it's pretty clever. Another thing that this Very Well Family article mentions is just letting kids fail. And it sounds super simple, but just let kids fail. Failing isn't fun, but it does teach us a lesson. In sports, in school, it's in all parts of growing up. It's in all different learning processes, just failing. It helps kids cope with hard emotions, and getting through hard things helps build confidence. And that allows them to handle other hard things. So it just keeps compounding and growing and getting better. This goes on and says to encourage communication. Teach kids early that being open with your parent is a good thing. And then they will be more likely to come to you and tell you what they need. Or if you're doing too much for them. If you're smothering them a little bit. Also encourage age-appropriate independence. And allow your child to take on responsibilities and make decisions that they are capable of. We also have to balance supervision and freedom. Sure, we have to supervise to an extent, but we need to grant them some freedom to explore and to play independently without us choppering around. Lastly, we need to encourage healthy risk-taking. Remember that uh, pro was kids that won't take risks, right? Well, we need to encourage some risk-taking. Let them take calculated risks and face different challenges. It promotes growth and development. Help them assess potential risks and develop problem-solving skills. And I think we can model that behavior as adults as well. I mean, I remember growing up and I would do all sorts of crazy stuff. I would jump my bicycle. I would go hike and go run around in the woods with my friends. We would climb trees and start fires and do all this other crazy stuff, ride my bike around town. We would go out to the docks by the lake and ride our bikes down there. We would jump in the lake. We would have stick battles with swords and sticks and stuff and go into parks alone without my parents. Just, just tons of different things that I did as a kid in the 80s and 90s. That's just what we did back then. But now it seems to be this shift to where more kids are inside or needing to be supervised by their parents. Almost like us as parents now, who used to do all those fun, crazy things, we're painting things as dangerous. We're painting the outside world as, you can't do that alone. And I get it. A lot of it has to do with the times we live in now and the locations that we live. I mean, when I lived in Vegas, there was no way that I would let my kid ride her bike in the street alone in front of our house. There's no way I would let her ride her bike in the street in front of our house with me being outside. People were crazy driving up and down our road insanely too fast. And we lived right by a corner and people would 
squeal their tires around this corner. So I kind of understand that. But here in the burbs where I live now, my girls go outside all the time. They go out by themselves. They run around, run a couple houses down to their friend's house. They have fun. They go in people's backyards. So so I get it. Logistics does matter. It does matter where you live on how free you can parent, essentially. I've also tried to let go a little bit of the control reins and let my kids kind of do some more dangerous stuff and take some more risks. Kennedy, my younger daughter, she has been just beating me up about wanting to go in these woods that are behind my house. Every day she'll ask me, I want to go to the woods. I want to go to my secret garden, she says, because she's got a little path back there, I guess. And finally, after thinking about all this stuff and prepping this episode, I was like, you know what, you're right. Let's go, let's go out there and check it out. I mean, I used to do it as a kid, right? So what is the big difference here? So we went out there, we muddled around in the woods, and, and I cleared a little bit of grass that's in these woods for her and kind of making it fun for her to go back in there. And then as I'm back there with her, I caught myself saying, well, this could do this, or there could be poison ivy back here, or there could be a rabid raccoon back here or whatever, I was using these coulds in woods, and it's like, of course anything could happen. I could get in a car accident tomorrow, but that doesn't keep me from driving a car. I could get bitten by a shark the next time I swim in the ocean. Okay, that does actually sometimes keep me out of the ocean. I do think about that when I'm in the ocean, but anyways, you know, I could have that happen to me, but does it mean it is? No. Should that prevent me from going and swimming in the ocean? No. So, I don't know, there's this part that just, you can't talk in coulds and woulds and shoulds, and you just have to let your kids just take risks and calculate those risks and and go exploring. It's just that simple. My oldest daughter was helping me do some yard work, and I asked her to grab this razor knife that was sitting there and cut open this bag of mulch that I was holding. And initially she was like, no, no, no way. I'm not doing that. I'm not touching a razor knife as if it was too dangerous, right? And it was one of those moments where I had this realization that I wasn't letting her do enough. I wasn't letting her do things that are slightly dangerous. So I showed her how to use the razor knife safely. And I told her she will probably never hurt herself with this tool as long as she respects it and uses it in a safe way. And you know what happened? She ended up slicing open 15 bags of mulch helping me out, and there was not one issue. And she retracted the blade back in it and put the knife away, and all was well, right? And the same goes for even simple tasks, like using a steak knife at dinner or putting a hot pot on the stove or off the stove or using other tools. Sure, there's going to be some risk. There's risk with everything we do, but we can't let that keep us sheltered inside our whole life, right? The bottom line is we just need to let them live. Let them make choices and let them make mistakes and be that guide for them to help them when they need it. But still let them just be a kid. Let them find out what they're skilled at and let them tap into that greatness like that quote said that every kid has. All right, so that's about all I have for today's episode of Stay at Home Dad's podcast. Yes, I know I didn't get into the best parenting method 
So I think next week I'm going to actually continue this topic, talk about the other end of the spectrum of parenting styles, talk about that free range parent a little bit, and maybe talk about a couple other styles in there as well, and still try to find out what the best method is. I'm going to say it's probably a blend of a bunch of different ones. Anyways, if you have any questions or comments for me, please reach out to me on Podbean or over on my Instagram at stayhomedads underscore podcast and let me know. Also, if you're enjoying this show and you think a friend or a family member or someone else would enjoy it as well, please don't hesitate to share it with them and let them know that it's on all the streaming platforms. It's on all the big platforms. So let them know that as well. All right. Thanks again for listening and I will talk to you all next week. Bye.